Welcome back to Sim Geeks Podcasts. We are your hosts, William Belk and David Shablock, and we are live at IMSH in Los Angeles. Uh, we're joined today by Dr. Haru Akuda from Camels, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in just a moment, but we're basically going to run through his background with simulation as well as discussing his plans as the newly elected president for IMSH. So, Dr. Akuda, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. appreciate both your invitations. Good to see you guys. I know we talked about at SimOps having an episode, getting you on the cast whenever we can, and of course, as life does happen, we time kind of flew by, and now we find ourselves here in uh, beautiful Los Angeles. You know, you are about ready to take on your presidency, and so we thought we would talk about uh, first how you kind of got into Sim, some of your passions, and then uh, what you see as important for the next year. Okay. Yeah, happy to happy to uh, tell you a little bit about my background. First, I just you know want to also say, super excited to be here in LA. It was touch and go. Omicron, o- Omicron's still pretty high, but seems like it's less of a scary monster. But it's still you know obviously impacting our health system. So we're just very fortunate and feel blessed to be here and great to see folks face to face. I guess you know sort of where it all started. As some folks know, I, I do have. My, in my earlier life, I had a background in music, and I spent probably almost 20 years playing the violin. And, and then in college, I, I decided, you know, do I want to go into music or do I want to go into medicine? Because that was the other area, and obviously I chose medicine as a career. Fast forward a little bit, I go to, you know, finish college, get into medical school, and go through medical school, and I was like, medical school was interesting. It wasn't what I expected, um, and I think a lot of health occupations are like this. I thought, you know, it would be much more um, structured, and you know, you practice, and you get all these opportunities like simulation that we do now. But there was none of that when I was going through medical school, and it was really the see one, do one, teach one, practice on patients, make errors, get better, people yelling at you, making you cry, and on all of that, and. So I was like, you know, med school wasn't what it was all cut out to be, but okay, I'll go with it. And then I get into residency, and I, I discover emergency medicine was what I wanted to do. I, I'm a ADHD kind of guy before they had the diagnosis back in the day, and I was like, you know what? I can't keep my attention for more than, you know, 10, 20 minutes, but I can really multitask well, and I love, you know, talking to lots of people and do procedures, et cetera, et cetera. So go into residency in New York, there's just uh, multiple examples, but there was one situation where I was basically put in a put in a place where I'd never done a procedure before, and um, my supervisor, my resident at the time, I asked for his help. He said, "Nope, you do it on your own." And uh, patient error occurred, and you know it's terrible for the patient, right? But you know a lot of people don't think it's terrible. You know it's also equally terrible for the learner, yeah. and so. After that, I, I was like, we got to be able to do it better than that. And just sort of going back to my background in music, when I play music, and if you're an athlete or a musician, you know it's deliberate practice, right? You practice, 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 and until you get it near perfect, you know, you're not going to go on a stage or you're not going to go into like a tournament or you know, a game. Um, and yet in healthcare, it was just not like that. And so I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this thing called medicine. I mean, I was coming from a doctor's standpoint. And then, uh, fortunately, um, I was at Mount Sinai. And if you know Mount Sinai, um, Adam Levine, one of the you know, big names in anesthesia was there. And this is back in the um, early 2000. Um, 
uh, a, a name that's going to be talked about a lot at this this meeting, Ch uh, Chad Epps. Mm -hmm. He was a fellow in simulation there when I was just starting as an attending. And so I reached out, um, long story short, uh, very generous with his time. I learned tons from Adam. I learned ton, ton from um, Chad or we learned together. Um, and it really launched into this whole world of simulation. Um, and so I spent the last 20 years in simulation. I am, as, as we chatted a little bit before, I'm, I'm, I'm also a gamer. I love technology. I love playing, you know, I, I, I grew up in the 80s and so, and I'm Japanese, so um, Nintendo is my thing. And, and, <laughs> and so, I, you know, to be able to play, to teach, to use technology like mannequins, and now it's like VR, AR, uh, to train our healthcare workforce, I thought, you know, what, what better way to do that? And, and, and really, my focus is around patient safety using the technology. So that's, that's long-winded, but that's sort of my background. I actually love what you were saying because um, my boss that taught me everything I know in simulation was Dr. Tanike, who I think you've met. Yeah. And uh, he would always tell us that he came from a generation of doctors that made all their mistakes on real people, yeah. which is why he was so passionate about not only simulation, but only doing it at a certain high level of detail and doing it serious and doing it right. And because he didn't want people to feel like he felt going through his education. Absolutely. So uh, uh, that's why I, uh, when you were saying that, that's what rung in my heart yeah, yeah. and in my head. So we've had this uh, this podcast for a couple of years now, and there's been more than one episode that devolved into discussion over video games. So I'll save that one for later. <laughs> uh, but really, what got you involved with SSH? When did you come to join the society and kind of led up to you being president now? Um, so I think I was, I was trying to think back to when I actually came to my first meeting. It was probably around 2008, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I started simulation in about 2003. And um, there wasn't a lot of support. There wasn't a lot of expertise. It was really like that old school. You find somebody that knows it, and then they teach it to you. Um, and then I heard, like, you know, 2000, I think SSH was established about almost 25 years ago. This meeting has been around for about 20 years now, but it was around that time that I heard about the society that's going to help, you know, connect people uh, that had the same passion. And so I went to the meeting. At the time, I was just, you know, still learning. I got to, what was very cool is, you know, the society is so collaborative. You know, you can see the big names that walk down the hallways and they're, they're just so generous with their time and, yes. you know, they want to help you. They give you their email. So, yeah, call me if you have any questions. And, like, what an incredible community. So I, I really fell in love with the society. I Early on, I was just learning. And then, you know, gradually I wanted to uh, contribute. Along the way, I was able to bring this new concept uh, you, you may have heard of, uh, SimWars. And Sim Wars was something that I, I'm one of the co-creators with two other people. In emergency medicine, we initially had developed it and then brought it to IMSH. I think it was in 2010 was the first Sim Wars competition at IMSH. And then as I've been in the society, I've been on you know, committees. I've, I've chaired the emergency medicine SIG at the time, um, then got on the board because I said I really want to do more. And then I was just fortunate enough to be elected as president-elect, which will 
be coming to an end and I'll actually start my presidency next Wednesday. So again, thank you for all those that supported me and I, I look really look forward to this coming year. Any big plans that you want to talk about as far as what you're looking to kind of expand in the next year? Yeah, um, so what, what's, if, you, if you think about the society, IMSH, um, the last, and, and the world, the last two years have been pretty, pretty horrific as far as COVID goes, and it's been really restricting. And I think the society has done, um, because of the members and the leadership, an incredible job in sustaining the organization, building. We've actually grown as an organization during COVID. I agree. Um, and um, and it was it was it was wonderful that the board decision last year when the virtual meeting. Like, if you're a member, you get to get content for free. And I think part of that reason is because it was we knew the members were struggling, as we all were. We wanted to give back as a society, and we thought it was critical to uh, be able to have a forum where you share like emerging best practices in everything related to the pandemic, COVID, and and all of that. So really proud of the organization last year for the virtual meeting. And so the last couple of years, we've been really focused on just COVID supporting our, our members. But I feel, I feel a lot of hope in this year, 2022. And I think this is the time where we as a society members emerge out of COVID. Uh, it's gonna be a new normal, as they say. COVID may be sticking around for some time. But as we've been able to get to this meeting, we're able to do mitigation strategies to prevent, you know, getting each other sick, six foot distancing, masking. I think we need to start looking forward into the future outside of COVID and what does it look like? And so a few areas that I'm really going to focus on this coming year, one is going to be about uh, advocacy. And having been in simulation for 20 years, and going to this meeting and other meetings like, you know, SimOps and others, you know, we often, we all believe in the technology. We believe in the modality. And we often do a lot of kumbaya amongst ourselves. Mm -hmm. But then when you try to step out, you try to talk to your hospital administration or your, your university and say it's really important. I think we've come a long way even there, but there's still a lot of pushback. Yes. A lot of like the first thing that went it, during COVID was training. Yeah. For many institutions. And I thought that was crazy because without training, you're not going to have safe practices for our healthcare teams and you're not going to have great patient care. Um, so advocacy is going to be a big thing, but external, right? So working with the government, federal government, societies, and really giving them a, a better understanding of what simulation is so that all of our members no longer have to, con I mean, they'll still... You know, you still have to ask and beg and all that stuff, but it's going to be a lot, hopefully, easier to do if you have buy-in from larger organizations. So that's one area that we hope to push, and we've been discussing that at the board level. The other area that I'm extremely passionate about is technology. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, 20 years ago, a mannequin was like the cutting-edge technology. And, you know, at, at Mount Sinai, we had the old-school uh, Medi HPS that you know you had the had the giant well it still has a pretty giant you know machine and but you had to like take off you know de increase per decrease peripheral resistance and reduce you know two liters of blood in order to make the blood pressure drop right and that was just cool yeah it was physiologically modeled and I had to learn how to program all that um, 
But you know, we've had mannequins now for 20 years, task trainers. You know, um, we have uh, simulated patients, and and they're all great tools. But I don't think we as a society have done a good job looking forward, um, and not collectively with a lot of the other emerging technologies. And I think COVID's really pushed us in, in many, many groups in, in a, in, out of our comfort zone mm -hmm. to figure out how are we gonna do simulation-based training remotely, distance simulation. So um, I think the society needs to drive that and define what distance simulation is and technology, other technologies um, that we can do experiential learning and training and simulation like VR, AR, AI, and we have to be a part of that. So I, I, I hope to drive that as well. And it's going to be super important for simulationists, uh, operators, specialists, technologists to be a part of that because, you know, who, who does it better, right, with technology? So, I mean, I think those are two of the, the bigger areas that, you know, I'm going to be focusing on. And then I think, you know, a third area is about... Um, really collaboration and, and trying to really expand into the global audience. Um, I think, you know, we've done a lot of great things here in the U.S., but I think there's great opportunities to learn from other organizations and other best practices and simulation centers across the world. I think COVID has united the world in some ways. It's maybe divided the world in other ways, but um, I'm, you know, hoping that we'll be able to really uh, expand our reach uh, during the coming year. Some of the things you were talking about really keys in with me is that I've been in sim, you know, more than a little bit myself, not to your extent, but I've been in for a while. And in the last year, some of the definitions are evolving because of COVID, but also because of evolutions in our own industry. We always were used to the word high fidelity. Well, now we've got high realism. It's not high fidelity. It's a different, it's a different animal. Or like you said, the XR, the MR, the AR sorting those out, learning that modality, learning where that fits in best, not just because it's neat, but where it actually for the learner fits in. And, and yeah, I, I couldn't agree more is, you know, keeping up with it is, is always the hard thing when you're on that cutting edge, but we've got to really figure out where it plugs in the best and how to make sure that our different people we deal with know that and yep. how to stay up with it. Yeah, I think it's a really great point. Um, I, I love re-quoting my medical director, Dr. Lorena, who loves to say, I'm not a smarter bear, I'm an older bear. And so um, I think back 20 years ago, some shiny new toy came out. I was like, I want that. I bought it. And then, you know, how many of us said, you know, you bought something really cool and then you're just like, okay, where is it going to fit? Yep. And then it sits in a closet, right? And that's happened from, you know, little things to like big mannequins. Yeah. And so I think we're smarter now. And just because things look cool doesn't mean we should buy it or apply it. We need to really figure out where does it fit. Correct. Um, some of the work we're doing at Camels is actually research around you know, VR and where does it fit in our spectrum of training and education? Is it, you know, does it augment it? Does it replace certain aspects of it? But I think some of that research and science and best practices is going to be really critical in the coming years. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, to, to follow up to that point, COVID really pushed us um, in the technology aspects. It really moved a lot of things forward, right? So VR, AR, that stuff was all really cool, but still kind of emerging three years ago. And then COVID hit. And I know in my practice, like I, I needed a way to reach out and get clinicians that I couldn't necessarily be face-to-face -face with. And now all of a sudden that technology actually became important, you know? 
I'd been pushing it for some time. And David's heard me talk about this about three or four years ago, the first time I presented it and said, we should really investigate the use of virtual reality. And I was told at the time, there's no, there's a, there's no application for that here. Like we have no use for it. And then of course COVID hit and it was like, all right guys, now we're behind the eight ball. Cause if we'd done this a year ago, it would actually be up and going. And so I think that of all the negatives that we've seen in the last two years, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's really pushed us forward in a lot of ways as far as simulation between communication, improving our remote aspects, bringing up new technology, finding ways to solve problems that we may have seen the value before, but we didn't really have a use for it. And now we have the use case. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know that when, when COVID first hit and my day job went into a meeting and they were starting to plan, when they came out, I said, this is our opportunity to evolve, to grow, and we could come out of this the strongest we've ever been if we put in the work. We buckle down and we evolve and we, we hit this head on. Some centers have done that. You know, it's not that we've missed that opportunity. Honestly, we need to learn from the centers that have done it, had successes. We need to learn from the failures. What didn't work? It, and like you said, it's the reach out, grow, and learn the things that, that work your poster presentation you did last week was really cool. And I know you'd, you'd explain it to me a little bit like that, but I didn't get it. And then I saw the poster and I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. Again, learning from different opportunities. Yeah. And a lot of that, what I was presenting on was, was actually, it wasn't necessarily pre-COVID, but it was also unrelated to COVID, right? Like changes had to be made within our right. sim center. Right. Uh, and so we made a heavy shift towards game-based learning and getting people up out of their seats and getting involved. VR just happened to snap into place with the rest of those concepts. But yeah, a lot of that was just simply saying, hey, it's time to change the way we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think then what we'll see, hopefully after COVID dissipates and we get back to this new normal and we're not wearing masks anymore and people are starting to think about, okay, we can, we can start doing the things we weren't doing, that we're not going to go back to exactly how we're yes. doing it pre-COVID. Um, and I think because we've been pushing forward in virtual technologies and distance learning, experiential learning, um, we're going to now be able to reach groups that we weren't able to reach in the past. You know, groups like rural environments, you know, military standpoint as well. Like military, there are millions of dollars being spent and purchased in VR product. You know, we can, we as an organization, um, as a field, can either sit back and watch the train pass us by, yep, or we can get on and really define that future. And I, I, I'm just super excited. I mean, that's part of that hope of the future. Super excited about that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I still firmly believe two years down the pike, I still believe this is our time to evolve and to make it better than it ever has and use the technologies that are out there find out where it fits with what we've been doing. If we are going to go back to a new normal that, it, you know, we, we can fall back with those things that work great, but how to interlace it? Like the research paper that came out saying that uh, VR turned out to be a great transition piece from task training to simulation. The students did better in sim because they had that tertiary step of VR yeah. that helped them push it forward. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it'll be really interesting to see now as new technology come out, where are the new roles um, of simulationists going to be? Like, what what is there, you know, as as we have new technology and new modalities, um, what are the new opportunities for simulation operation specialists yes. in this new normal as it relates to these new technologies? And I, I think it's really exciting for that, you know, the 
seamless operations specialist community. Um, and, but there's going to be some learning. A lot. And if it's one of those the haves and the have-nots, if you're at, not at a place that's doing that kind of work, the actual gap between some that are you know, doing the traditional stuff and then those that are sort of pushing the envelope might get bigger and bigger. And so mm -hmm. it's something to consider, like how do, you, how do you keep everybody on that same page? I think the other thing that we don't really talk about much is there, I mean, there's obviously some big names in simulation that have no clinical background, right? Um, but right now what we're looking at coming into this is we're seeing more and more positions where we need non-clinical employees to help run a sim center because of you know, either running the computers or VR. Oh, 100%. Or you know, production, whatever it is. And so we're, we're going to see a lot of opportunity in simulation that's not just for clinicians getting out of practice, yep. just heading into education, but also for a whole army of people that are never going to have any clinical experience, but to be trained in simulation. Yep. I, I, you know, one of the, the, the controversial and funny things that I did when I was with the, the New York City Public Health System as a director for the Sim Center, that was between 2009, 2011, we had our simulation operations specialist who became our director of education, who is now PhD, but he was from the military, non-clinical, and he actually taught all of our physicians how to place a central line. Like, think about that for a second. Yep. And because he was so, he was just a great educator, but also um, just studied the procedure mm -hmm. and... And everybody loved the course. But then I talked about it back then. I put it on the listserv at SSH, and it created some controversy between yep. the clinicians versus the, the educators and non-clinicians. And then we actually did a couple of fun debates at SSH. I, I love what you said because, so I started out in Civil Air Patrol, did search and rescue, all that, went, and I was way out of any of this. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and was like, you know that stuff we used to do back in CAP? I get paid for that now. Yeah. I'm like, what? And so I was I was told what sim was. And so this person, being a medical background person, gave me the track. I got my EMT. Yeah. I got my paramedics in order to get into sim. And I found out that I love being a paramedic and I ended up loving that. Well, I was in sim for a couple of years and Dr. Tonike, you know, we got talking down. I was like, well, you know, I got my paramedics and, you know, that, that helped. And he, he just said, no, it didn't. He said, it was all of the other varied, uh, crazy experience you had. Yeah. That is why I hired you. Yeah, yeah. He said, the paramedic just mean you know how to speak the language right, right away. Right. I could have taught that to you. Yeah. And that was. 100%. That was, that was it was just a, a shocking, like, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moment. Well, one last question, and then we'll kind of start wrapping it up. Yeah. So if you've got somebody relatively new or just getting started out in simulation, what is your, what, what do you tell new people? What is your advice for, hey, here's how you're going to progress, or here's the people to seek out, or what events to go to? What's your advice to anyone just getting started? Yeah, um, and, and that's, that's beyond just being at this, this meeting, right? Correct. Just Correct. in general. So I, I would say, first, like everything, like whatever topic you're learning, learn everything you can, right? Uh, talk to as many people as you can. That's how I started. Yep. Because there wasn't certifications, there wasn't any of that. And just absorb the information. And then in the beginning, be a generalist, right? So I'm an emergency physician, I'm a generalist, and you, you know a little bit of, you know, know a little bit of debriefing, know a little bit of you know, technology and, and all of that. Um, Eventually, as you sort of focus, you, you do want to get focused on certain areas of expertise. I think if you want to truly build out a career in this, in this area, 
then I think finding good mentors is going to be critical, right? And I, as I mentioned earlier, the simulation society and the simulation community, like everybody is so generous with their time. And so as you start establishing sort of what direction you want to go into, find a mentor, latch onto them, follow through, not just one, multiple. Yeah. yeah in, in some, you know, in different areas. Yep. Um, definitely, if you do that, you want to follow through, yes. right? So mentors, it's, a, it's, you know, they're happy to put the work in to help support you, but they do expect for you to, you know, then follow through if, you, if they give advice or, you know, help, help you out on projects. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a mutual, it's a synergistic relationship. It's not one-sided for sure. So it takes, you know, both. And I think that's going to be critical. And then get involved, right? I would say, you know, whether, whatever organization you're a member of, or if you're a member of multiple orga organizations, whether it's SSH or Naxal or ASPE or Simgos, like just get involved because that's what I did, right? I mean, there are plenty of things that I did in my 20 years that I didn't feel like I was qualified for, that um, I felt, you know, the imposter syndrome, like, well, oh. what am I doing? Yep. Um, and I just raised my hand and nobody else raised their hand. And I was like, okay, now I'll figure it out. I'm the guy. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, just do that and people will help you. You'll get there, yep. right? As long as you're, you know, motivated, energetic, you know, disciplined passionate. to a degree, passionate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll get to where you need to go, and I think you'll build a beautiful career. And this is just the beginning. I think as far as a specialty area of field, we're just getting started. So I'm excited, you know, as I sort of enter, I don't know where I'm entering in my career, but I, I love seeing the new folks coming into it. It doesn't mean, you know, often people say young folks, but it doesn't have to be young folks. It could be folks that are new to the industry and people that are like near retirement saying, oh, maybe I want to try this area. Like, absolutely. Uh, doors open for everybody. And I get excited about seeing the new leaders of tomorrow coming into it because, you know, I can't do this, you know, forever. And I, I love to eventually sit that, you know, sort of sit back a little bit and watch everybody else, you know, do great things, which, you know, it's already starting. So. Well, Huru, I really appreciate you joining us today, man. And it was, it was nice hearing kind of the story as well as what you have planned for the next year. But thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank we you so much. You, we hope you'll be back. Absolutely. All right. So from Los Angeles in uh, IMSH 2022, my name is David Schablock. This is William Bell. And thank you again to uh, Dr. Kuda. And thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.